Well, as you can see around here, our slogan is followers making followers of Jesus. Some people take it more literally than others. And some of you will get that much later. As we are doing the followers that make followers of Jesus, we've been going through a bunch of series. And we talked last uh, two months ago about being transformed and what it looks like when we give God the transformation of our hearts. And then after that, we talked about the idea of trusting him. And when we trust him, we're going to go where he says to go. Because when we are transformed, we are transformed in order to be sent out. We are transformed in order to be sent out. In other words, we know that we are missionaries. And one of the ways we describe it around, around here is followers share what they Followers share what they know. That's good. You don't have to share more than you know, but you're supposed to know more and learn more so that you can have more to share. But the one thing you may know is where we meet on church Sunday morning. Congratulations. Who knows where we meet on Sunday mornings, right? Some of you are like, do I really have to raise my hands? And I'm like, no, you don't have to, but I appreciate those of you who are willing. And so we know where God is taught here. And so the bare minimum you know is to invite someone here. As you do that, as we share what we know, um, we get excited about what God is doing. And we love the idea of saying, okay, God, now where do you want me to go? Because as we talked about last week, we're doing a 30 days on mission because we recognize that we are all missionaries. If you know Jesus, you are called to go and share the name of Jesus with other people. Why? Because we believe God is good and kind and just and loving. And why wouldn't we do that? But sometimes as we're doing that, we can romanticize the idea of what it looks like to be on mission. I remember hearing the story of a pastor who lived about 100 years ago, and he was out walking around a lake. And as he was walking around a lake, he saw a young boy. And as he approached the young boy, he could tell that the young boy was blind. But the young boy was flying a kite. And as he approached the young boy who was flying the kite, he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He goes, of course. He goes, how do you enjoy flying the kite if you can't see the kite? And he goes, I don't have to see it to enjoy it because I can feel its tug. And I think sometimes that's the great description of faith. That when God asks us to go where he wants us to go, we know that there's a gentle tug and we can appreciate the beauty of that. And we sit there and go, okay, I'm all in. You've had that, that church camp experience or you've had that moment where you've encountered Christ. And you're like, I'm all in and this is going to be awesome. And I get to have cake and ice cream with my faith the rest of my life. That doesn't really work that way. And in life, sometimes we are going to be confronted with the reality that following Jesus is sometimes difficult. So we're going to be looking at that through the life of the story of Jonah. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to Jonah, the Old Testament, you can look there today. And Jonah was one who signed up. He was the one who would have been like, 30 days on mission, I'm all in. And, and sometimes we can sit there and go, Jonah was an awesome story. It's one of the first stories I remember hearing as a child. Jonah got swallowed by the giant fish. But what I didn't understand fully as a child was Jonah was not exactly the role model that we sometimes think he might be. In fact, in looking at this story, it's one of the first stories they make sure that young ministers understand and us as missionaries understand that this story is really about the people you think are good guys are actually the bad guys and the people that you really think of that are the bad guys are the good guys. It's used to design to show us God's love for all humanity and how broken we really are even as we chase after Jesus and thus our need to trust him in the storms of our life. So let's unpack this 
a little. Because serving God doesn't always look like we think it should. Jonah 1, verse 1. Then the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amidi. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come before me. When you feel that pull of your heart, when God is saying, go talk to that person, or when God is saying, be faithful in giving, or when God is saying, do this with your neighbor, or God, when you feel that tug in your heart, you only have one of two options, obey or not obey. And as a follower of Jesus, there aren't many other options. There's no halfway, right? It's like you either do it or you don't do it. And when Jonah heard this, he would have probably been like, see, this is why I didn't really want to sign up. Because as we find, he's asked to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was in Assyria. And well, Assyrians, they were the worst. Like literally the worst. And Jonah would have been like, I don't really want to go to the Assyrians. The Assyrians were known as a violent people. There's still artwork if you go find it. And their artwork consisted of this. Images of beheadings, executions, impalings, as well as the flailing off of skin of people in live torture to get them to conform. This was their artwork. And Jonah's sitting there going, I signed up, but not to go there. And I wonder how often when we sign up to be followers of God, we sit there and go, God, I'll sign up. But we don't really want to sign up to follow God because we know he's going to send us where we don't really want to go. Or at least we think that. In in other words, let me put it to you in a, a silly illustration that I've sometimes used. We sit there and we go, if I really commit to following God, then he is going to send me to Antarctica to witness to the penguins. Now, For those of you who don't know, we don't actually believe that you can witness to penguins and share the faith of God to penguins. I know, they they look cute in their tuxedos, we like that, but that's not really the point. And the reality of what we're saying is that, for those of you who hate the cold, would be the worst idea imaginable. That God would send me to the place where it never gets warm, it's freezing, to do an impossible task that cannot possibly have any ramifications. If I follow God, he's going to send me there. So where is your there? Where, if you follow God, does God say, I might send you, and maybe it's to talk to that teacher in your school. Maybe it's to talk to that people that you sit there and go, they can't possibly know Jesus. They're my enemies. And this is how Jonah felt. This is the reality of what he was struggling. But spoiler alert, when God sends us, it is not only out for the benefit of the people that we are sent to, but for us as well. Sometimes God sends us places not only for the benefit of those people, but for us as well. Why? There's a lesson we need to learn that God loves all of humanity, and He loves them too. Is God always going to send us to the worst possible place? No. But if He does, He's going to give you a desire for it if you are following Him. So let me ask you this. How would you handle it if you felt the tug on your heart and a very clear direction from God saying, I want you to go to so-and-so and talk to them about what you know about me? Most of us would probably do what Jonah did. Verse 1-3, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went 
into, down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Not only was Jonah fleeing from the Lord's presence by going, he went, Nineveh. Jeremy loves it when I do this. Tarshish. Nineveh. Tarshish. You get it? He went the opposite direction to what he literally felt like was the opposite end of the earth. Have you ever done that? God, you want me to go to church? Where am I going? To the lake. God, I know you want me to go talk to my neighbor. Where am I going? Uh, inside. God, I know you want me to do this and you do... Th now, here's the interesting part. In order to rebel, what did Jonah do? He paid money. He bought a ticket. He spent all his money to go and do what is contrary to what God asked him to do. I don't think you're getting it. That's, that's pretty, right? He wasted his money, his resources, his gifts, his talents because he was rebellious. Do we ever do that? God's asking you to go somewhere, and you sit there and go, yeah, instead I'm going to go buy this. God's asking you to go somewhere, and instead you go, yeah, I'm going to plug it in with this addiction, with this temptation. And what we don't see there is how this begins to build. Refusing to follow God will cost us. When? Every time. Refusing to cost God will, fall, will cost us every single time. It will have impacts. It will have ramifications. It will happen. But you can trust, as we talked about last series, that God's ways are the best ways. And you can trust that when God says do something, he's actually not trying to punish you, but to help you to see how good and kind and loving he is. Jonah 1, 4 through 5 says this. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. <laughs> God's getting Jonah's attention. You ever have a storm of life come? The sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his God. The gods they would have worshipped would have been the sun god and the, the water god and the etc. They were worshipping. They were looking for something. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Storms will come and the storms we willingly sail into will impact others as well as us. The storms will come and the storms that we willingly sail into in our life, the place where we say God says to do and we know that we aren't supposed to, but we run full bore into it, 
will not only impact us, but they will impact the other people of our life. When it gets a hold of your heart, you can start convincing yourself that it's true. When you get a hold of your heart, you start having to lie to yourself to convince yourself that this lie is true. When you start sitting and understanding that what I think is right is what's right, I don't care what God says, then what is ultimately going to happen is your life will be impacted and the people around you will be impacted because the sin never stops with you. You will drag others into the storm of your life. Don't do that. The reality is we all do it at times. And we all have those struggles. Sometimes you enter storms and they're not your doing. They're caused by the other people's sins. But sometimes they're yours. Now here's the thing. In the storms, sometimes we can be asleep and not recognize that the storm has come. Jonah was where? Sleep. Who told him the storm? The other sailors. And sometimes it's going to be your spouse saying, Hey, why are you in a bad mood? I'm not in a bad mood. What are you talking about? Right? Nobody wants to testify too loud of that one, right? Sometimes our, we can be in a place and our kids can come to us and go, Mama, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Go to your room. Sometimes our coworkers can recognize that we are not following Jesus. Sometimes the friends can follow, recognize that we're not following Jesus. Sometimes the people around us can recognize that we're not following Jesus like we should and can see things that we can't see before us. And a loving person will want you to see, hey, what's wrong? The sailors woke up Jonah. <laughs> and the story continues. In the storms of your life, how are you going to respond? Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Oops, I skipped it. Verse 6. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God, and maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. So in the moment of the storm happening, even the person who doesn't follow God is going to sit there and go, call your God. Do you get that? Do you remember, for those of you who are old enough, do you remember what happened right after 9-11? It wasn't Republican and Democrat. It wasn't black and white. It wasn't rich and poor. It was a country united. Why? Because tragedies unite. And people like to talk about that a lot, but what I remember most after the 9-11 wasn't the uniting states of America. It was the fact that a lot of people were looking for hope in God. And when they didn't know our God, they went and found hope in whatever God they could find. They went and found hope in buying nice stuff. They went and found hope in, the, in other faiths. They went and tried because in, when crisis happens and when the storm of life hits you, when everything in your life begins to implode, you're going to find a time of reckoning. It will come. And I, I'm lovingly going to tell you this. There will be storms in your life. Every day is not sunny. And when the storms happen, the natural reaction of every culture, of every tribe, of every people group is going to be, who is your God? You will have faith. Atheists have faith. I think it takes a lot more faith of an, to be an atheist than it does to be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> 
I mean, you think we just randomly came out of an explosion that was not created by God. Okay, let's go explode something and see if it joins together. Let's go out and mathematically do the odds of creating a firework and seeing if something happens that grows it together. And some people are going to sit here, well, here's the science and here, I get it, but do the math. No matter how you believe that we got here, I want you to believe that God created because it does not make logical sense to think that we just magically had life and breath and exist on a planet that is circling around a sun that is in a massive universe that happened just out of nothing. Who created the nothing? It takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than to be a believer. And if God exists and he is to be known, then what we have to do is find out who he is. And every tribe and every king and every country and every people group has always worshipped something. The sailors were worshipping the sun god. The worship god they worshipped the, the god of the oceans. And when the storm of life happened, they were looking for who is real. And in that moment, they said, Jonah, maybe you know who the real God is, which tells me they didn't really believe in the power of their own God, right? So in verses 7 through 9, it says, Come on, the sailors said to each other, Lest cast lots. I'm sure Jonah at this point was like, Well, I know how this is going to turn out. You're not really supposed to do that, but I'm, I'm figuring out this is how it's going to work, right? Then we'll know who to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? Well, I'm a missionary. What is your country? I'm from Israel. And to what people are you from? I'm from the Lord. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens who made the sea and the dry land. When I was a kid, I imagined that as a great prophetic preaching statement. I am Jonah. I worship the God of the Hebrews who controls the oceans and the seas and the lands. You should be very afraid. That preaches, right? No, I think actually as an adult, and I reread this and I've done the commentaries and research, I think it was Jonah going, yeah, I'm busted. <sighs> My name is Jonah. I worship the God of the Hebrews who created the earth and the hand and seas. And, you know, we're in the storm because of me. Sorry. You ever been there? Yeah, I brought the storm of my life. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have known it. I know better because God told me I know the way to do it. I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. I'm so sorry I brought this drama in your life. Please forgive me. Can you sincere see the sincerity of my apology? Right? Because that's what we want. The storm's coming. I'm going to say I'm sorry. And everything's back. It doesn't always work that way, does it? And so they were sitting there going, okay, what do we do? Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, what is it that you've done? Why? Because the storm's there. And the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told him. So they said to him, what should we do to you so the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. You see, when we don't live out our faith before others, even if they don't believe, they will wonder about your faith. Why aren't you living the faith that you say that you're living? Let me put this to you in another context. 
one of the phrases you're going to hear over the next few weeks is the following. The gospel is sometimes offensive because it's attacking the way that you believe, what you believe. But apart from the way Jesus did it, the gospel should not be disrespectful. Offensive! Not disrespectful. And I think what we've gone into is the church is we've gone into one of two extreme camps where we either can't offend anyone so we don't ever say anything and we bite our tongue. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to tell you that the God of this universe loves you and cares for you. You might be offended. Or we go to this other extreme and go, the God of this universe loves you. You need to repent, you sinner. Maybe a bit of extreme exaggeration there. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. It makes me realize that y'all know that wasn't sincere. And I sit there and I go, okay, maybe it's all wrong. Maybe we just need to recognize that God is God. And and what we're ultimately doing is submitting to his will. I love this idea that the world knows you have faith. Why? Because everybody has faith. How do I know this? You're sitting in a chair. How did you know that chair would hold you? Faith. Well, I've sat in chairs my whole life, and none of them have ever broken. Okay, do chairs ever break? Yes, yet you did. I don't think any of you came in here this morning and goes, mm. Now, some of you have gone to the pharmacy this last week. Did you go home and pull out one of those pills and type it in into one of those things to make sure that the pharmacist gave you the right one? If so, you have problems. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the vast majority of us do not do that, so that means you have faith in the pharmacist. When you get in the car, you drive away. If someone has changed your oil, you are driving away in faith that they actually put oil back in their car. Why wouldn't they? They said they would do it. Now, if you have faith in a human who works at an oil place putting oil in your car. That's not meant disrespectful. It's just the fact that we all make mistakes at times. How can you not have faith in the God of this universe who does not make mistakes? And when we put our faith in what he says and go where he says, it may be contrary to the way we want to live. It may be contrary to what we think that God wants for us, but he's going to do something. And when we don't, the world's going to go, where's your faith? Penn Jillette, who is famous from Penn and Teller, says the following quote, who is a renowned atheist, by the way, he does not believe in Jesus, says the following, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Proselytize means people who share what they know. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone believe, to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This is of an atheist perspective. I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was going bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I would tackle you and this is more important than that. When you don't share your faith, the people who are, you're scared of offending are going to be more offended that you don't share your faith because it says either you don't believe it or you don't care. Right? So let's ask the internal question, then, why don't we share what we know? 
we don't share what we know because as we say out here, and we're going to hear more about this in the discipleship pathway down the, down the road in the next month, those four follower statements out there that include followers make followers, followers share, followers serve, followers give, those are the effect. That's how we know we are doing it well. And what we know is if we are not sharing our faith with at least someone, that means there is something that is sick in our soul. Something's not right. And the unfortunate reality is when we do that, maybe we have to ask ourselves, maybe we're a little bit more like Jonah than we thought. Verse 12, he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. I haven't told you about my faith. I haven't showed you about God. And the storm came because I was running from him. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with his innocent blood. At this point, they recognized the power of Jonah's God, even though Jonah hadn't told them. Why? Because, well, God's kind of cool like that. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They worshipped Jonah's God. Now, I could spend about a year in this passage, but I don't have that much time, so I'm going to cover this really quickly. This one section is huge, Okay. First of all, when I was a kid and I read that passage, I imagined Jonah going, please sacrifice me. I'm so repentant. Allow me to be the fish food so that you all can live. I'm willing to sacrifice my life for you. Uh -uh. Jonah had run so far from God, what was actually most scholars think. There is a little discrepancy here. A few people argue against this, so I'm just telling you my strong opinion. Okay, I always want to do that. My strong opinion on this particular passage is Jonah was like, I'm tired of running from God. God, I give up. Kill me. Suicide is real. And the thoughts of suicide are real. And I'm not trying to make light of that in this morning. If you are struggling with any suicidal thoughts at all, please get help. Suicide is never, ever the answer. segue into something a little bit different. And I want you to see, is it possible in your life that you can become so jaded with what God is telling you to do that you sit there and you think, there is no more hope for me? You're Jonah. And in that moment, a loving God sends the storms to rock your world. A loving God sends the storms to show you He is God. A loving God makes you uncomfortable. A loving God sends compassion through the storm to make you reckon with your life, to make you be accountable for your life, to make you realize that the things that you think that you think you should do are not 
jiving with his will for your life. And a loving God will want to steer you back onto the path that he has for your life. And so I say, in the moments of your life when you think everything is going well, but it's not, God, send the storm. Send the storm. And I'm wondering today if God is trying to send some storms in your life. And you're wondering where he is. And he's going, you don't see it yet. But this storm is actually benefiting you in the long run. Because it's forcing you back to me. You don't believe me? Go to Celebrate Recovery sometime. Let them know you're coming so they can set it up appropriately. And listen to their stories. Don't believe me? Talk to someone who has overcome an affair. You don't have to take my word for it. The stories are all around you. In the storms of your life, a loving God will allow them to happen because he wants you to see it. And the second thing I want you to see about this passage is the Assyrians didn't want to throw him. Oh, the sailors didn't want to throw him off. I spoiled it. Now, here's Jonah who didn't want to go to Nineveh to reach the Assyrians because he didn't want to save them. Who were the sailors on the boat that were asking him to be thrown over but the Assyrians? <laughs> I don't want to go there and save those wicked people, but I'll get on a boat with them. And when the boat comes, I've gotten to hear their stories. I've gotten to hear their lives. And now I know that they're actually people. And because they're actually people, I'm okay with you sparing their lives. So throw me overboard to save these people's lives because I took the time to get to know them. We cripple ourselves by throwing up these generalizations that are generally wrong. We cripple ourselves by looking for enemies when we are way more alike than what we are different. We cripple ourselves when we demean and demoralize people because we think they aren't following in the ways of the Lord, but we haven't told them of the Lord. Did you get that? Looking in a mirror. And I want to say a statement here that is a little bit I hope you take it loving. But if someone in your life isn't following Jesus, the one that may need to be thrown over the boat is you. Because you aren't showing them Jesus. I'm not talking literally thrown over the boat. We get that right? I'm talking there's something in your life that may need to change. That may need to be giving you a heart for the Lord. So here's our Monday morning application for this week. I'd like you to invite one person to church this week. Don't just check off the box. Did it. Superstar churchgoer. Follower with a plaque. I want you to pray for them. Care for them enough to show them Jesus. And if someone invited you to church today, you're not a target. You're not a bullseye. You're here because someone loved you. And wants you to know that Jesus died on a cross for you. And he has a way and a purpose for your life. And that person loves you enough to care for your eternal salvation. We'd love to share more about with you how you can become a follower of Jesus in the next step space immediately following this. Now, 
the rest of us. I encourage you to do that. But I also want you to see there's four chapters in this book. You can read Jonah chapter 2 next week if you want to see where we're going, but it's going to get a little bumpier before it gets better. Because verse 17 of chapter 1 says the following, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Sometimes when you get thrown overboard, it gets worse before it gets better. Like when you have to confess an affair. When you have to confess that you've been stealing from your company. When you have to admit you have an anger problem, an anxiety problem, an addiction. When you have to look in your life and to realize that you've been selfish because you haven't wanted anyone else to know about Jesus because he's only for you. When you realize that you put yourself above every single person, it may be hard, it may be difficult, and you may feel like you're in the, well, the belly of a giant fish. But you'll see through this story the foreshadowing of what is to come. The foreshadowing of three nights in darkness. Where does that sound familiar? Jesus' story of how redemption comes, of how eventually the whale or the giant fish will not be able to contain you because our God is alive. And when you come out the other side, guess what? You still may smell like vomit. (laughs) But you'll see that God is good and faithful and just and kind if you trust him through the storm. There is always hope for the follower of Jesus. That's why I follow him. So God, teach us your ways. How to follow you, how to trust you, how to live for you. Forgive us when we're selfish. Forgive us when we're narcissistic. Forgive us when we do what we want to do. And God, I pray clearly today that the shackles of sin would break. That you would convict us, God, when we need to of our selfish ways. That you would make it transparent in our life that we are doing what we want to and are fleeing the opposite direction of what you want. And God, break those chains today in the power of Jesus' name so that people might come to see how good you are, so that we might come and see how good you are, that we can't wait to share with people how good you are because of what you're doing in and through us. So God, we pray for revival today. We pray that your spirit would fall down in this room and would spread into the county, to the state, to the world around us, and let it begin here now, that you would take a hold of our sin, that you would break us, that you would show us the blind areas, and God, that you would move mightily and powerfully in your name because you are good and kind and just and loving and holy and wise and and always giving and forever faithful. We trust in the power of your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.